Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mekaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 507 with Alex Bedayan. Alex has some really fun stories he shares about opening up new opportunities. You'll learn one, the ultimate cold email template to recruit mentors. Two, creative third door approaches that nobody takes. And three, communication secrets from Maya Angelou and Larry King. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's on over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F507. Now here's Alex's story. Alex Bedayan is the author of The Third Door, the result of an unprecedented seven-year journey interviewing the most innovative leaders of the past half century, including Bill Gates, Lady Gaga, Larry King, Maya Angelou, Steve Wozniak, Jane Goodall, Quincy Jones, and more. He's presented The Third Door framework to business conferences and corporate leadership teams around the world, including Apple, Google, Nike, IBM, Snapchat, Salesforce, and Disney. When he was 18, Alex hacked The Price is Right, won a sailboat, and sold it to fund his adventure. He was then named to Forbes' 30 Under 30 list. Thanks to Alex for spending some time with us, and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're, like many small business owners, looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Alex, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited. I think the first thing we got to cover is how did you hack the prices right? <laughs> Going right to the meat. Wow, that was nine years ago. I was 18 years old at the time, a freshman in college. And, you know, the context is sort of important because I was sort of going through this what I want to do with my life crisis. And, not only did I not know what I wanted to do, I didn't know how all the people who I looked up to, how they did it. You know, how did you know Bill Gates sell his first piece of software out of his dorm room? Or how did Spielberg become the youngest director in Hollywood history? So I, you know, the short version of the story is I sort of set off to go find the book I was dreaming of reading. You know, I went to the library and ripped through dozens of biographies and business books, but eventually I was left empty-handed. So that's when my naive 18-year-old thinking kicked in and I thought, well, no one's written the book I was dreaming of reading. Why not do it myself? You know, I thought it'd be very simple. I thought I'd just call up Bill Gates and interview him and interview everybody else, and I'd be done in a few months. Alex, so good to hear from you. <laughs> he picks it up. And you're just chatting away. Yeah, I really thought that that's how it would go. <laughs> what I thought would be the hard part would be getting the money to fund the journey. You know, I was buried in student loan debt. I was all out of bar mitzvah cash, so there had to be a way to make some quick money. 
So naturally, the game shows is your first instinct. <laughs> well, do you know what's funny? It wasn't even my first instinct. I didn't have any instincts, but I just kept ruminating on this problem until two nights before final exams. I'm in the library, and you know I'm doing what everyone's doing in the library right before finals. I'm on Facebook. Oh, zing! And I'm on Facebook, and I see someone offering free tickets to the Price Is Right, and. You know, it's the longest running game show in U.S. history. And my first thought was, what if I go on the show and win some money to fund this book? You know, not my brightest moment. Plus, I had a problem. I'd never seen a full episode of the show before. You know, I've, of course, seen bits and pieces when I was homesick from school in fourth grade. That's exactly what I was thinking. Homesick is what I associate with Price is yeah, Right. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I didn't have cable growing up. You know, everyone you know, everyone knows the Price is Right, but i never seen a full episode before. So I told myself this was a dumb idea and to not think about it. But I sort of felt this, you know, almost like someone was tying a rope around my stomach and was pulling me in a direction. So that night I decided to do the logical thing and pull an all-nighter to study. All right. But I didn't study for finals. I said I had to hack the prices right. And I went on the show the next day and did this ridiculous strategy. And I ended up winning the whole showcase showdown, winning a sailboat, selling that sailboat. And that's how I funded the book. Well, that's that's excellent. Well, so so what's the strategy? I mean, I, I guess there's some strategies for winning once you're selected. But how do you get selected? Well, that was my whole question. Because when I decided to pull that all-nighter, I decided I'm not going to ditch finals and just hope that luck goes my way. I was like, I have to figure out this strategy. So I just started Googling how to get on the prices right. Because I figured that must be the hard part. You know, there's 300 people in the audience. Yeah, statistically, right. Right. Statistically, there's 300 in the audience, eight get called down, one out of those eight win. So the big statistical challenge is being the 300 down to the eight. Mm-hmm. So what I found out is the price is right. And I found this out at like three o'clock in the morning by the, you know, the 23rd O of Google. I found this blog post from, you know, back in the nineties that said the price is right is not what it seems. You know, they make it look very random, you know, Pete, come on down, you know, me. Oh, what? Wow. All my college <laughs> friends are excited for me. <laughs> right. Right. Uh -huh. Like all like as if they pulled your name out of a hat. But what I learned is like everything in life and in business, although it looks like luck, there's a system to it. And there's a producer who interviews every single person in the audience before the show begins. And in addition to the producer, there's an undercover producer planted in the audience who then confirm or denies the original producer selection. So it doesn't matter how much you love the show, how you know bubbly your personality is. If that producer doesn't put you on his list... And if the undercover producer doesn't then confirm or deny you, it doesn't matter how much you want to be on the show, you're not on. So that's where I poured all of my focus. And you know, the long version of the story is like this like 20-minute preposterous story, and it was much less Einstein and much more Forrest Gump when I say hack. But <laughs> it ended up being, uh, you know, the event that really launched this seven-year journey of the third door. Well, and so then, okay, so how do you identify who the producer is and, and you know, get the meeting or the impression such that uh, you get selected? Well, you know, during my all-nighter research, once I found out how it worked, I then poured all of my focus into studying who the producer is. 
And I figured out, you know, his name is Stan. I pretty much knew, you know, where he grew up, where he went to school. I essentially knew what he ate for breakfast that morning. I learned everything I could about him. So just like LinkedIn and Googling around the Stan guy. Yeah. You know, he's the head casting producer for The Price is Right. You know, there's stuff about him on the internet. And when I finally, you know, that next morning drove onto the CBS lot in Los Angeles, you know, first of all, even before I got in line, I realized I don't know who the undercover producers are. So I just have to assume everyone's the undercover producer. So I'm, you know, dancing with old ladies. I'm flirting with custodians. I'm breakdancing and I don't know how to breakdance. And eventually, you know, I get in line and about an hour in, I see my guy. I see Stan, you know, standing, you know, 50 feet away from me. And the way it works is Stan, you know, takes, you know, 20 people at once in line, sort of like, you know, herding cattle, puts them all in a row and walks down the the line one by one, ask them questions. You know, what's your name? Where are you from? What do you do? What's your name? Where are you from? What do you do? And before you know it, Stan is standing right in front of me. And he's like, you know, what's your name? Where are you from? What do you do? And I'm like, hey, I'm Alex. I'm, you know, 18 years old. I'm a, you know, pre-med. And he goes, oh, pre-med, you must spend all your time studying. How do you have time to watch The prices Right? And I'm like, oh, is that where I am? You know, no laughter. You know, the joke just falls flat. So I notice his eyes darting as if he's ready to move on. And I had read in a business book during you know my life crisis that said human contact speeds up a relationship. So I had an idea. I had to touch Stan. Now, he's like 20 feet away from me. So I'm like, Stan, come over here. I want to make a handshake with you. And he's like, oh, no, no, it's, it's okay. And I'm like, come on. And you know, very reluctantly, he comes over. And I teach him how to pound it and blow it up. And he laughs a bit and he says, all right, good luck. And he starts walking away. Now, what you need to know about Stan is he has a clipboard, but it's never in his hands. It's in his assistant's hands who sits about 20 feet away from him. And that's the list that gets passed on to the undercover producer. And as Stan starts walking away from me, I notice he doesn't turn around his assistant she doesn't write anything on the clipboard. And just like that, it's over. And I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where you can literally see your dream, you know, walking right away from you, almost like it's, you know, like sand slipping through your fingers. And the worst part is, you know, you didn't even have a chance to really prove yourself. So I don't know what got into me, but I started yelling at the top of my lungs, you know, Stan! Stan! And, you know, the whole audience shoots their head around and, you know, Stan runs over, you know, thinking I'm having like a seizure. And he's like, are you okay? Are you okay? What's going on? And I have no idea what I'm going to say. <laughs> and, you know, Stan's looking at me. I'm looking at him. You know, the audience is dead silent. You know, this random 18-year-old kid is, you know, was shouting at the top of his lungs. And... Again, what you have to know about Stan is he's very, you know, typical Hollywood, you know, turtleneck, red scarf, goatee. And I just look at Stan with all the seriousness I can. And I'm just like, you're a scarf. And now I really don't know what I'm going to say next. <laughs> and I just look at him, you know, I, I just try to be as serious as possible. And I just look at him dead in the eyes and I'm like, Stan, I'm an avid scarf collector. I have 362 pairs in my dorm room and I'm missing that one. Where did you get it? And he starts cracking up because I think he finally realized what I was actually trying to do. 
And he just smiled and gave, you know took his scarf and put it around my neck. And he's like, look, you need this more than I do. He turned around, winked to his assistant, and she put my name on the clipboard. Hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Alex, we usually don't spend this much time on the on the kind of fun fact background icebreaker, but uh, <laughs> I, I think that this is important because but there's really some lessons here. Thank you. In terms of one, you went, you were so persistent that you went to the 23rd page of Google, and that's mm. the ancient. I don't know if it's ancient. I guess Google's not, Google's <laughs> you know, not that ancient. The old, but, the ancient Greeks talk about the 23rd of Google. Are <laughs> all wisdom is? Well, I, I guess the, the 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 marketing joke is where's the best place to hide a body on the second page of google because no one ever looks there right, <laughs> right but but so you exhibited exceptional persistence in in, in going deep into into getting that as well mm-hmm. as some some courage and you, you didn't know what you were going to do but you knew that your window of opportunity was slipping and so you just you did something and then you adapted real time and so so i think that there's some some excellent lessons there. And so then, so then you won the prices, right? You, you got the sailboat, you sold the sailboat, you had some, some funding now for your project. And, and the, your dream book then was to interview, uh, hyper achievers and, and figure out uh, what they got going on. So, uh, tell us, uh, how did you in fact manage to, to get these folks to, to speak with you? Cause, cause you soon learned <laughs> that it wasn't as easy as calling up Bill and he says, Oh, Hey Alex. So what did you do to get them to talk? Yes. To my surprise, Bill Gates does not do interviews with random 18 year olds. Lessons learned. Yes. Very important lessons learned. And that's really when it took off. So you know, it took two years to track down Bill Gates. It took three years to track down Lady Gaga. And when I had started, you know, like I said, I thought it would be, you know, this very simple, straightforward process. But every single interview was completely different. So, and, you know, on my list were people from all industries. So, you know, for science, Jane Goodall, for poetry, Maya Angelou, you know, computer science, Steve Wozniak, Larry King, Quincy Jones, Jessica Alba, Pitbull, uh, you know, the, you know, Warren Buffett, the, it really went, you know, across all industries and each interview was its own adventure. So with Larry King, I chased him through a grocery store with Tim Ferriss. I had to hide in a bathroom for 30 minutes. So each one was, you know, with Steven Spielberg, I almost died in the South of France. It was with Mark Zuckerberg. I almost got the police called on me. So every interview was its own mini quest. And What I did learn across the board, though, what I learned not only in the process of getting the interviews, but even more importantly, in the interviews themselves, is while every story was different, every adventure to get the interview was different, and every person who I interviewed on that surface were more different than you can say. You know, Maya Angelou grew up in Stamps, Arkansas. Bill Gates grew up in Seattle. You know, at their core, and I don't know if you're a big music fan, but it was almost like there was a common melody to every conversation I was having. Mm-hmm. And you know, the analogy that came to me because I was 21 at the time is that life and business success is just like a nightclub. There's always three ways in. So there's the first door, the main entrance where the line curves around the block where 99% of people wait around hoping to get in. That's the first door. You know, people are just standing, holding their resumes out in the cold, hoping the bouncer lets them in. That's the first door. And then there's the second door, the VIP entrance, where the billionaires and celebrities go through. And for some reason, 
school and society have this way of making us feel like those are the only two ways in. You either wait your turn or you're born into it. But what I learned is that there's always, always the third door. And it's the entrance where you jump out of line, run down the alley, bang on the door a hundred times, crack open the window, go through the kitchen. There's always a way in. And it doesn't matter if that's how Bill Gates sold his first piece of software or how Lady Gaga got her first record deal. They all took the third door. Oh, yeah, that is so meta there. So so you are going through exceptional, unique efforts to access these people. And then they're telling you stories about their own, you know, accessible, unique ways that they accessed their, their successes and opportunities. Not by design. It's pretty wild. So, uh, well, so yeah, I want to dig into uh, a couple of these luminaries insights, but so can we hear some of the particulars? So I guess you had different adventures each time. So I, I'm, I'm putting together some themes already, you know, from the price is right. So there's, <laughs> there's persistence. I don't know if I want to call it shamelessness, but it, it seems like, it, it seems like you're not easily embarrassed or if well, you are, you, you don't let that stop you. I think it's, so the latter I think is super important. Not only just reflecting on my own journey, but I also think anyone with their own careers. Because if you, Pete, if you ask my you know, sisters what it's like growing up with me, they would tell you I was the most scared kid you'd ever meet. No kidding. And I can still remember to this day, standing outside the prices right, right before I was going to get interviewed, just completely terrified and embarrassed. And I remember literally like closing my eyes and telling myself, you can either just succumb to this fear and lose this entire opportunity or you can push through it. And what I realized when I started interviewing people for the third door, you know, when I sat down with all these leaders is that my big question for them was how did they become so fearless? Because I definitely was consumed by fear every step of the way. And my biggest realization after doing every single interview was that not only were people like you know Bill Gates scared in the beginning, they were terrified the whole way through. And that didn't make any sense to me. And what I learned is that it wasn't fearlessness they achieved. It was courage. And while the words sound very similar, the difference is critical. And this is you know super important, whether it's in your personal life or in your career or in the workplace. You know, fearlessness is jumping off of a cliff and not thinking about it. You know, that's idiotic. Mm -hmm. Courage, on the other hand, is acknowledging your fear, analyzing the consequences, and then deciding you care so much about it, you're still going to take one thoughtful step forward anyway. All right. So so there you have it. So you you sort of take a look at the the real, I guess, consequences, probabilities, like, okay, here, here are the options. I can do nothing. And, and get nowhere, or I can do this, and which might get me in jail or embarrassed or a sailboat. <laughs> and so that's worthwhile. I'm going to go ahead and do that because that's more important to me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, so then I guess you, you say you have wild tales of adventure for each of these, these people that you interviewed. So can you share any sort of general themes? It seems like one of them is, okay, you're, you're persistent over time. Another is that you, you sort of just figure out where they're going to be and and be there. Uh, anything else with regard to your messaging or invitation or winning over assistance, publicist, gatekeeper? <laughs> well, yes, there are a lot of themes that 
to my surprise, you know, the themes that help me get these interviews, I've also learned through my research are also the same themes of, you know, the most high-performing sales teams and the most high-performing business development teams. And, and you know, there's macro themes and also micro tactics, you know, even starting on the micro, which are, you know, very useful for anyone, you know, no matter what their job is, there is a right and a wrong way to send cold emails, and, you know, in the year, you know, 2019, you know, we're almost into 2020, cold emailing is one of the most effective ways if you can actually do it correctly. Mm-hmm. So I learned this uh, during my interview with Tim Ferriss. And he gave me a cold email template, which he hadn't shared anywhere else, that not only changed my entire life and helped me get interviews for the book and get mentors for my journey, but it also, my favorite thing is since The Third Door has come out, thousands of readers have written in saying that it's changed their lives. They've gotten in contact with people like Sheryl Sandberg or Malcolm Gladwell all through this cold email template. So, Well, you've got my attention, Alex. What does this consist of? (laughs) All right. So this is how it works. It's super simple, but again, you really have to follow it to a T. So it starts like this. Dear so-and-so, I know you're incredibly busy and you get a lot of emails, so this will only take 60 seconds to read. Boom. That's the first paragraph. And then you move on to the next paragraph. All right. The second paragraph is where you put, you know, one to two sentences max of context of who you are and why that's relevant to the person who's reading this. So again, this is not where you put your bio, your life story, but you pick a couple sentences that's relevant to that person. Boom. Next paragraph. Again, one to two sentences max of a hyper specific question that they can respond without thinking too hard about. So what should I do with my life is a bad example of a question, but what is one book you recommend to an aspiring writer is a great question. And then the final paragraph is the clincher. You go, I totally understand if you're too busy to reply. Even a one or two line response will completely make my day. All the best, Alex. Okay. And so then maybe they they gave you a book which is nice, but you're interested in a little more. So what did <laughs> Bingo. So I, I got the follow-up advice during my interview with Bill Gates. You know, he, Bill shared a lot of incredible advice about, you know, sales secrets and negotiating secrets. But one of the things he really emphasized is, you know, if you get someone to like you and be invested in you, you don't really have to negotiate that hard. And one of the things he did very on early on in his career, which was very surprising to me, is he would do exactly that. He would, let's say he was, you know, in the beginning of Microsoft, you know, doing a deal with IBM and wanted to create a relationship with the executives there. When he would meet them, he would ask them for book recommendations. And then he said the key is he said, busy people don't have a lot of time to think. So what they do is they create frameworks, whether they're conscious of it or not. And let's say someone reaches out to you and says, do you recommend a book? And you give, let's say, three book recommendations. If that person gets back to you in a few months, you might think, oh, that was a pretty smart person. They took my advice. That's nice. If they obviously don't get back to you, you probably don't even think about them again. But if someone gets back to you in one week saying, I read all three books and the second one you recommended has completely changed my life and in these ways... I just wanted to say thank you. All of a sudden, that person creates a mental framework that you are a very good investment of their time. You know, they just spent 30 seconds giving you advice and 
it's already made a giant transformation in your life. And they also think that's an incredibly hardworking person who I want to get to know better. And slowly, you know, it starts with an email. Then, you know, maybe you next time you're in town, hey, I'm in town, would love to see you for 15 minutes if you're available. And if not, totally understand. Uh, then, you know, maybe you're going through a challenge in a few months. Hi, I, you know, I, I'm sure you're incredibly busy. Um, I'm going through this crisis. Do you have, you know, a little time to talk on the phone? You know, and it slowly builds and grows. A mentorship isn't something that you just, you know, sign on the dotted line. It's a relationship that slowly grows with time and investment. That's good. And and so then with with these folks, is that, well, I guess, hey, 15 minutes is all you need, you know, for, you know, your your interview and your book and your what you're trying to accomplish there. Or have you stayed in touch with some of these folks over longer periods? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it it spans the spectrum. So with some people, they, you know, with Quincy Jones, it was three hours a three-hour-long interview with some people is a little shorter. For some people like Bill Gates, the only time I've ever you know spent time with him was during that interview in his office. With some people who I interviewed, they're some of my best friends now. And there's this great quote that I really love that always comes to mind. It says, I can't even remember who said it. It, said something, it says something along the lines of, respect the people who make time for you out of their busy schedules when you need them but love the people who never check their schedule when you need them most. And I think what's beautiful about this journey for the third door is it started out as my journey to get, you know, advice to figure out, you know, how, you know, how did the most high achieving people launch their careers. But what ended up happening is it also became this very personal journey where I was finding myself and growing up along the way. And some of the people who I interviewed, sort of transcended not only as an interview subject to a mentor, but to being like family members. Yeah, that's beautiful. And, and so, well, there's a lot there. So let's just get a, a couple tidbits just to so we get a taste you know, of the wisdom from some of these, these amazing folks. So a couple that you mentioned to me that uh, I'd love to get maybe just one minute. All right, Maya Angelou, how do you write good? Mm. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. A part of me like literally wants like, open up the book and read directly, but I'll, I'll paraphrase, but she, I would say also just to give her credit, which she doesn't need extra credit because everyone knows already how incredible she is, but she was the only interview subject where her words, I literally could just sit back and she wrote the chapter herself, you know, just out, you ask her a question and she literally gives the most gorgeous and beautifully written response out of her mouth. And it was definitely a very, very big honor to speak to her. When it comes to writing, she said the biggest thing she recommends a new writer to do, no matter your age, is to take the writing that you just wrote, find a quiet room, close the door, and read your writing out loud. And she says it sounds obvious and simple, but almost no one does it. People don't like to hear the sound of their voice. They don't like to read things out loud. But she said, the best form of editing is reading it out loud because only then can you hear the melody of the words. And writing, good writing, is much more than logically putting words in the right order. It's about creating a melody that is easy for the reader to take in. And she shared a quote with me that I'll never forget. She said, and I think the quote is by Nathaniel Hawthorne. The quote goes, 
easy reading is damn hard writing. Agreed. <laughs> right? Easy reading is damn hard writing. And Maya Angelou yes. insisted that the inverse is true too. Easy writing is damn hard reading. Yeah. All right. That's perfect. Yeah. Thank you. How about Larry King on interviewing? Oh my God. You know, Larry, I'll give a tidbit, but he taught me so much. You know, he looked at me the first time we met or the second time we met and he said, he's like the problem with all young interviewers when they're just starting out. And again, this is interviewing, whether it's for a TV show or radio show, or even interviewing in a hiring process. He said, they look at the interviewers they admire and they try to copy that. You know, they look at maybe Oprah who uses all this emotion or Barbara Walters, who's very strategic or even, you know, Larry himself, which is, you know, very straightforward. And they try to copy that style. And Larry said, that is the biggest mistake you can make because you're focusing on what our style is, not why we have that style. And the truth is, those are the styles that makes them the most comfortable in their chairs. And when you're comfortable in your chair, the person you're interviewing becomes comfortable in their chair. And that's what makes for the best interview. That's good. Well, Alex, let, let me, let's go meta here. How do I make you more comfortable in your chair? <laughs> I'm wearing pajama bottoms right now, if that helps, <laughs> but you can't see that. <laughs> the fact that you are just asking things that you are genuinely curious about and it sounds like you're having fun is making me have fun. So I'm very grateful. Oh, thank you. Well, that's true. I, I, I really do you know, want to know these things and uh, I'm curious. So, so thank you. And so, all right, very cool. So then, so this third door mindset here which is there's there's more than just the two options associated with the, the masses and the VIPs. There's a, a third door. And so what are some general questions or means by which you begin to discover uh, what those third doors can look like in any given situation? You know, what's interesting about the third door is it's not a recipe for success. It's a framework for success. And you know, the difference is that this is really a lens to view your challenges, a lens to view the obstacles that no matter what's in front of you, no matter what challenges are in front of you, at the end of the day, there's always a way. And again, it doesn't matter if we're looking at, you know, how Warren Buffett got funding for his first investments or how, you know, Steven Spielberg became the youngest director in Hollywood history, what the third door framework tells you is that you don't have to sit back and wait for a boss or a parent or even a mentor to give you permission to go after your goals. All right. You have the power to make it happen yourself. And what I've noticed, you know, with readers of the book is it gives you a sense of possibility. You know, what I've learned is you can give someone all the best tools and tactics in the world and their life can still feel stuck. But if you change what someone believes is possible, they'll never be the same. Yeah. That really resonates in terms of what you believe is possible. And, and I, you know what? I've even seen this in small ways. I'm thinking about, boy, it goes, it goes big, it goes small. It's like, what could be possible in terms of, could it be possible to earn a quarter million dollars a year by working less than 20 hours a week? Yes. And in fact, I know people who do that and I find that inspiring and I'm kind of building my my business to to accommodate that so I have you know more time for just 
dorking out and reading long whole books and studies and being with my kids and, and exercising and, and whatnot. But along the way, I'm having so much fun that I just I just keep working. <laughs> so that's cool too. But I, I think even in, in the in the micro sense, this has happened to me a couple times with I'm thinking about home renovation. I know it, it's so mundane. Uh, since we're talking about huge dreams and and, and life visions, uh, but I, I think that's let's say I get a quote from you know one vendor, and like oh man, to rebuild those uh, kind of loose bricks uh, around the the parapet walls they're called that extend above the the roof, and to get a new roof that's going to cost forty thousand dollars, says one person, and I go dang. I sure don't want to spend $40,000, but even if I get just a little bit of benchmark research data from homeadvisor.com or from uh, another quote or for some people that I'm talking to, then I begin to learn, you know, what is in fact possible. And then I say, you know, no, I don't, I don't like that answer that I got. So therefore I will persist until I get uh, another answer I like. And spoiler alert, I just hired someone who's going to take care of our roof matters for less than half that price. <laughs> so yay. And and had I, if I had no idea of what was possible, I might be like, well, shucks, I guess that's what it costs. Man, that's expensive. And, and so I think that your sense of possibility can be expanded with even a quick Google search, like in your case. Right, absolutely. Not a quick Google search, 23 pages down, but you say, oh, it is in fact possible to take an action that gets me selected for prices right. Yes, 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 100%. 100% yes. That's cool. So what are some additional means by which you recommend that uh, you become aware of possibilities? So one is huge, is, is finding mentors. Ooh, what a great question. That's a great question. I love that. Yeah. Lay it on me, Alex. <laughs> you know, what I've learned is you should do what you can with what you have. What you can with what you have. Now, for most people, look, if you're listening to this right now, at the very least, you have internet access. That's how you're listening to this podcast, right? So you already have access to YouTube, you know, every podcast out there, and books, you know, whether you buy them yourself or you sign up for a library account and, you know, rent it, you know, on your phone. And when I was first starting out, and I think it's really important to remember that, you know, I didn't know anyone. I was an 18-year-old college student and my mentors at the time were books. I, you know, read Tony Shea's Delivering Happiness, CEO of Zappos, and that became my mentor. I read Pour Your Heart Into It by Howard Schultz, this, you know, CEO of Starbucks, and that became a mentor to me. And in the beginning, it was just books. And slowly with time, I began to meet the authors of the books by going to, you know, author events. And then I started, you know, cold emailing authors and started meeting them in person. And, you know, of course, the dream is for, you know, the people you look up to, to be able to help you in real time and in real life. But you have to start somewhere. And, you know, starting with YouTube videos, you know, if you're interested in social media marketing, you know, type in Gary Vee on YouTube and just go down that rabbit hole. If you're interested in entrepreneurship, you know, there's so much out there. And what happens when you start absorbing yourself very, you know, and I love really going down that rabbit hole when you really absorb people's stories is it shows you what's possible, you know, going back to your question of, you know, how to do that. And 
I think you have to be very proactive in the process because if you're sitting back at your job or in your classroom, you know, no matter where you are in life and you're just taking in the information that's being given to you, your sense of possibility is very slim and very narrow. But if you actively push yourself to read things that you normally wouldn't read, talk to people you normally wouldn't talk to, your life will never be the same. And I think we have to address an issue that can just short circuit the magic of that possibility becoming present to you, which is a tendency to, I don't know what the word is. I'm curious what you're saying, because uh, I is, have an idea too. Is it other, I don't want to say other or other eyes, but to, to, to form a wall or a distinction, it's like, okay, sure. Howard Schultz could do that, but he is Howard Schultz. You know, Larry King can do that, but he's Larry King and I'm not Larry King. So, so that notion that that person is completely different from me and therefore that possibility is not real. I think that can just kill the magic. So how do you inoculate yourself from that influence? So a book I would recommend is called The Magic of Thinking Big. And it's a older book. I think it's maybe, you know, 50, 60 years old. The Magic of Thinking Big. And it's very good at addressing that issue. And something I learned from one of the people who I interviewed is that you want to create a mental bank, almost an internal bias of possibility. And when I meet people who have that problem in a very severe way, what I recommend them do is do a 30-day challenge of every day for 30 minutes, for 30 days in a row. They need to journal for 30 minutes every day on a moment in their life, whether at home, at school, at work, where they had a giant obstacle that they overcame. Mm -hmm. And if you spend 30 minutes, you know, even if nothing comes to you for five minutes, something will come to you at some point. And it could be something small, like literally I was really thirsty and didn't have any money for a vending machine. And I ended up finding, you know, searching, you know, the couch cushion, whatever. It could be silly stuff. It could be big stuff like a health challenge or a relationship challenge. What you're doing is reprogramming your mind. Because I'll tell you, no one is born thinking they can't do it. Whether you are aware of it or not, there have been implicit messages and events that have created that outlook within you. And you have to become proactive in reprogramming your mind. And, you know, even going to therapy is a good solution. I've been going to therapy, you know, once a week for five years now. And it's really helped me, you know, reprogram old stories. At the end of the day, our life is only as valuable and only as productive as the value and the productivity of the stories we tell ourselves. And it's up to mm -hmm. us to choose which stories we want to live with. Yeah, I dig that. So so the journaling about times you've overcome obstacles then reprograms your brain such that when obstacles no longer seem permanent or immovable, it's like, oh, that's just like those 30 other things <laughs> that I overcame. All right, well, let's figure it out. Exactly, exactly. That's cool. Well, also... I guess I'm thinking now about, let's hear some examples of, of, of obstacles and overcoming, just because if, I think that's probably the hardest part of the 30-day challenge is, is your very first day or two. It's like, oh, I don't really know. Nothing comes to mind. Because because sometimes I think, 
that conjures up an image of really dramatic stories of, you know, I'm thinking of motivational speakers here. You know, I was, I was broken on drugs and on the streets and, uh, yeah, you know, right. It does not have to be that dramatic addicted to everything. But then I, I, I pulled myself up and, and blah, 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 blah. And so it's like, okay, but, uh, so they give some more examples of, Hey, challenge overcoming that that might be even mundane just to get us started i think what's really easy is when i tell people you know when they do have challenge when they do have problems finding uh examples i always tell them think back to you know high school because in high school like every day we had a different you know silly challenge that we found to create a solution for whether you didn't study for a test and you had to cram by creating you know a last minute study group where you all ex- you know exchanged you know resources or for me i remember not this is like a really preposterous situation, but there was like a teacher that was like the meanest teacher in the school. And I got assigned to that teacher on the first day of school. And I realized that I didn't want my whole year ruined because that teacher is very notorious. And I ended up just sitting outside of the guidance counselor's office for six hours doing a sit-in until the guidance counselor would meet with me. Uh, You know, literally preposterous, silly things even. Because the point of this exercise is to show you that in all aspects of your life, whether it's with a romantic partner or with a parent, when you had obstacles, you had the skill set within you to figure it out. And what you're really doing is you're helping yourself trust yourself more. You know, that's the difference between confidence and self-confidence. Confidence is external and self-confidence is internal. And what you're doing is you're building your internal self-confidence, your trust in yourself of what you're capable of. Oh, yeah. And and it's just so fun. Like, you you talk about high school, you're bringing back memories to, um, I thought it would be fun to participate in the musical we did for Greece, but... I, at the time and still to this day, am not really that great in singing. And so then it became clear, like I could read the lines, I thought pretty well, you know, and then it's like, then we had to do singing. And so I remember this guy, Jordan, just has an amazing voice, like bring him home. You know, it's like, it's like, wow, (laughs) you know, it's like all this. And so, but what I did know is that I had a lot of, you know, enthusiasm and there was one tune I thought was, was deeply embedded within me. It, I, I kind of sang to myself at times. And so it was from a commercial. And so I just went for it and said, you know, doesn't matter what comes fresh goes better in life with mentos fresh and full of life nothing gets to you staying fresh staying cool yeah so i'm singing the mentos commercial and and because there was is emotion and it's not that complex of a tune (laughs) in terms of number of notes and range yeah i made a decent impression and i got the part uh which was a modest i was i was in uh danny zuko's crew and very important very important <laughs> sunny i believe yeah sunny was his name cool leather one, jackets yeah yeah and one line like tell me more tell me more could she get me a friend which is tricky because that's a high note i didn't do super well but i got the part and had some fun and and it really set things up in, in some cool ways in terms of you know making some great friends and being engaged with um activities and uh, i stuck with it and so well, I haven't thought about that in a long, long time, but you you brought it up and it was fun to remember. And and I do have a, a, a greater sense of of possibility, not so much from a source of, 
you know, I'm getting pumped up because, you know, I've, I've listened to a motivational program or, uh, you know, Eye of the Tiger or whatever. Right. Uh, but rather it's like, oh, that was a real thing that happened. And it was, uh, and there was a good result. And, and there can be more of that in my life. It's powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Alex, good stuff. Tell me, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about a couple of your favorite things? You know, I think you've really nailed it because what I think everything we've talked about so far has this common theme of really looking within yourself and the answers are in there. And the whole point of the third door is not only to, you know, equip people with tools, not only to change what they believe is possible, but really at the end of the day, it's to liberate yourself because whether it's at work, whether it's at home, our real goal is to try to be most us version of us, right? The most you version of you. And the third door is really a mindset to liberate yourself. Thank you. Now, could you share a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? I was reading a book and there was a Warren Buffett quote that I just really loved yesterday that said, we don't have to be smarter than the competition. We just have to be more disciplined. Thank you. And I really like that. And a favorite book? Oh my God, so many. I would say... Something that comes to mind right now is The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. Oh, thank you. And a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job. This is a great tool and it's not a tool. It's, you know, the airplane mode function on a phone. Oh, yeah. If I want to be productive, there's only one way to do it by putting my phone on airplane mode. Silence doesn't work. And when I'm writing, I will literally not only turn off my phone, I'll like hide it in a drawer on the other side of the room to use my laziness against me. But if I just want to do something very thoughtfully for even 30 minutes, I have to go on to airplane mode. And a favorite habit? Meditating twice a day. And do you use an app or just breath or what's your approach? I went to, I use a thing called transcendental meditation, which, you know, there's a lot of, you know, teachers, you know, all over the world who'll do, you know, these three-day workshops. But I really believe any kind of meditation is good as long as it feels good for you. And is there a key nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks that quote it back to you often? Yeah, there's one quote from the book that I see quoted often, which is, when you change what someone believes is possible, you change what becomes possible. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? You know, the book is everywhere. You know, books are available, whether it's Amazon or Barnes & Noble or Audible. And if you end up getting it, uh, let me know so I can say thank you. Uh, Instagram and Twitter are all the same. It's just at Alex Benayan. And you have a final challenge for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Ask yourself sometime today where you actually have some space to yourself. What are you the most afraid of at this point in your life right now? Because I think in that answer lies some of your destiny. All right. Alex, this has been a treat. Keep on living big possibilities and good luck to you. I am so grateful. This was a ton of fun. Thank you. I really loved Alex's boldness, his persistence, and his just unorthodox approaches to making stuff happen. And I think what really stuck with me is the means by which you can convey to another person that you're a good investment of their time. So they recommend a book, you read the whole book real quick and say, hey, thank you. It's so useful in these specific ways. Yeah, that's going to leave an impression because just about nobody does it. So great stuff from Alex. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced or awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep507. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. You'll catch our next guest. It's Ron Price. He's talking about how you can become an influential leader. So I hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, 
Check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.